Hello and welcome to Unseen, the podcast where we have a chat about some of the brilliant projects happening at Queen's Hall Art Centre in Hexham. Each episode will go behind the scenes and lift the curtain on all of the planning, inspiration and graft that it takes to turn amazing ideas into amazing projects. And you're here with me, Bridie Jackson, local musician, and also Dominic Smith, associate curator at Queen's Hall Arts. And hello, Dominic. Hello. (laughs) Um, And in these first few episodes, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive into the Unsung Heroes Project, which is a project celebrating local people through song who have made a difference to their communities. And if you want to know a little bit more about the kind of how this project came about and everything kind of the the build up to it and everything, you can listen to episode one of this podcast and we talk about it in a little bit more depth um, with me and Dominic and also Katie Taylor, who is the artistic director of Queen's Hall Arts. So what's happening today? Um, In this episode, we're going to be having a look at the song Walking a Lonely Path with No Guide, which was written for the LGBTQ plus activist and author Casper Baldwin, who was nominated for this project by Darren Irvin Duffy, who is the chair of Northumberland Pride. The song was inspired by Casper's memoir, Not Just a Tomboy, and Casper describes the memoir as an exploration of gender identity set against changing cultural attitudes from the 90s to the present day, with its unflinching portrayal of the vulnerability, confusion, dysphoria, empowerment, peace and joy that are all part of the transition process. This book provides an invaluable support for trans men, and is a memoir that breaks the mould. And in this episode, I was lucky enough to chat to both Casper and also to Darren, and both were really fascinating, brilliant discussions. Let's have a listen. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Darren. It's absolutely lovely to see you again. It's been a little bit of a while since we spoke. Um, and so to kick things off, it would be Brill if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved with the Unsung Project in the first place. Yeah, so thanks very much for having me. I can't 100% remember, actually, now that you've just <laughs> asked this, but I think you reached out and uh, I was asked to nominate somebody who is an Unsung Hero. And I, and I nominated Casper Baldwin, who uh, was a former committee member at Northumberland Pride. Uh, Northumberland Pride being an LGBT plus organisation in uh, the county of Northumberland and I nominated Casper because Casper's story is just absolutely fantastic and Casper actually wrote a book called Not Just a Tomboy and it's really inspiring it's a really inspiring story and journey of a young trans man and I remember being at a event where Casper was reading from the book actually um, up in Amble uh, quite a few years ago now and there was a lot of people in tears there um, and that just really resonated with me and actually when I was speaking to Casper and saying oh there's this uh, follow-up of the Unsung Heroes project he was like oh yes yes I remember that that you nominated for that um, and I was sharing the um, song that you'd wrote off the back of that as well and you know he, he's really like um, down in down to earth person um, and like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be involved again in the Unsung Heroes Project. So, you know, it's just really, I think, people who are unsung heroes 
in general, don't necessarily believe that they are. And that's the reason why I nominated Caspar, because actually I remember working with him back at Northumberland Pride when we were in the early days. And um, I remember his vision of setting up a trans hub at one of the events that we did. And really that was a fantastic achievement because it's something that was never, you know, Pride had never been done in um, Northumberland, never mind having something as forward thinking as um, a trans space. Um, and that might sound weird saying that it's forward thinking, but actually at the time in the county, it was forward thinking. So, um, you know, I think Casper and his journey really deserves recognition. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it absolutely does. And I remember the first time we spoke, um, you talked about how important Casper's involvement in Pride was. Um, as an as both an advocate and an and an activist, I suppose. And you also talked about how his lived experience uh, was really important because he was willing to use that to help others. And I just remember finding that really moving the way that you talked about that. So I wondered if you could kind of re- revisit that for us now a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about lived experience, that's what's so important in the LGBT plus space. Um, and especially now, I mean, if we go back to when uh, we first talked about this a few years ago, we're actually in a completely different place now as well. So um, I think it was important back then, don't get me wrong, but actually I think it's even more important now. Um, you know, if we think about how trans people are um, threat at, at the moment and all of the trans rhetoric that's out there, it's really concerning. And as somebody like myself, who um, is a leader in an LGBT charity, I think it's important that we have people who are willing to be activists and advocates for trans people out there in the community. Um, and I'll just, you know, go back to the fact that Casper was involved in Northumberland Pride. So Northumberland Pride, essentially, is working across a county which is really rural. And then what you tend to find is out in those rural communities, th- there isn't a lot of representation for trans people. So I think what Casper did and does is be a voice for trans people within the community. And, you know, that's what a lot of LGBT organisations strive for, but actually it's really difficult to get to, is having that representation across a cross-section of the community so that all voices are heard. So I think just having somebody who can very eloquently explain their story, uh, both from um, a perspective of, you know, Casper hasn't always lived up in the northeast. You know, he's lived in in other places, but then he came back to the northeast and then talks about his journey from different lenses. Essentially, that's really important because at the end of the day, trans people live everywhere. They live in all sections of rural communities within Northumberland. And I think thinking about the work that we do with Northumberland Pride, we know that it's really difficult for them at the moment. So I think having somebody like Casper explain their story and about how they come to be is really powerful. Absolutely. And you spoke to something else, which I thought was really interesting, uh, both last time we spoke and this time, which is, Casper is quite an interesting figure in that, as you said, he's extremely eloquent. And I remember you saying he's also, he's quite quiet and quite unassuming and and was quite surprised to be nominated, which I just found, I found that very touching. 
Um, and it's actually something quite a lot of the people that, that were nominated have been really surprised because they're just getting on with the work. They're not expecting a reward. Yeah, I think the very fact that you say that the majority of the people who would have been nominated part of this project, you know, are the same types of people, essentially, I would say, is to get involved in community based activities because it's their passion. You know, they don't necessarily expect to be rewarded or nominated in these roles because actually the reason for them getting involved is because they want to support their community you know you know they, they want to share their experience and they want to better people's lives and I think that's the case for Casper actually is that he really wants to do his bit he is an unsung hero because actually he doesn't know that he's a hero until somebody tells him that he is so yeah I think that does really resonate with him as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a it's an exquisitely beautiful book. I I read it after you'd recommended it, Darren. Mm-hmm. And um it was so compassionate and and eye-opening and funny and warm and sad, but also there was a sense of real kind of victory at, at the end of it. And yeah, I, I would recommend anyone, anybody reads it because it just it, it helps you to understand perhaps um, a life, an experience that many people maybe don't have that much um, understanding of. Um, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting for people to hear the kind of scope of what Pride does, because it's it's so vast, isn't it? All the, and like a lot of the partnership work that you're doing, the collaborative work, it's very much kind of in, embedding in society in, 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 in kind of, it's, it's not just an event, is it? It's not just one event once a year, which maybe a lot of people might think it is. It's, it's kind of ongoing, isn't it? It is. And, you know, Northumberland pride, I suppose, as a concept, people may see that as, it's a traditional LGBT plus pride that you see up and down the country. But what I would say is we're working in a county which is completely different to any other local town or city across the region or across the country. So, you know, it's, it's just going back to what I said before around kind of what the challenge is in Northumberland in terms of work in general isn't delivered by LGBT-focused organisations. I mean, of course, across the region, we have other brilliant LGBT organisations doing fantastic work, which, of course, touch on the lives of LGBT plus people in the county. But what we find is needed is grassroots work on the ground in local towns and villages across Northumberland. And, you know, the challenge really is, is that the issues up in Berwick are completely different to the issues up in Holtwistle or the issues up in Ashington. There's other things to think about as well around that is that the rurality of Northumberland means that people are often isolated. People often don't have access to transport. You know, they can't get to, you you know, even within the county, somebody from Bellingham doesn't necessarily have the capacity to get to Berwick. So we're dealing with those types of issues that aren't necessarily issues within town, you know, other urban towns within Northumberland or cities, other cities across kind of the northeast. But, you know, it's our role as a as an organisation to find ways to meet those challenges. And the ways that we do that is by being part of wider networks across the counties. Absolutely. And I, I mean, it's you speak with such eloquence and passion about the work that you're doing and 
if it's all right, I would love to know a little bit more about what drew you to be involved in the organisation, a little bit more about the, the, your backstory, really, that kind of made you decide, I really need to get involved in this. You know, my story isn't not too dissimilar to Casper's, actually, um, where, you know, I grew up in Ashington in Northumberland. Um, and albeit I don't live there anymore, I'm, I'm really passionate about being from the town. Um, you know, I grew up in a 2.4 family. Um, I grew up in a place called Castle Terrace, if anybody knows where that is, in Ashington, in East Ashington. Um, and, um, you know, looking back at my childhood, I didn't have any um, body who I knew that was LGBT. And looking back now, you know, with hindsight, there was lots of LGBT people, but... Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about how in 2003, second, Section 28 was just repelled, which was, you know, around the promotion of promotion of homosexuality, you know, in the state school system. So, um, you know, until I was a lot older, I didn't really understand that that was the case. Um, but now on reflection, I can say that as a young boy, as a young man, um, there was nobody like me. Um, and that's really what drew me to to kind of taking those issues to the forefront, actually, um, you know, into into being an, an adult and to where we are today. But um, I was involved in lots of community based projects when I was young as well, from from the age of 11, actually. It's interesting because people come to be in who they are through a variety of completely different reasons. Um, and, you know, again, just. I think going back to the original question about how am I, how am I, where am I today? How did I get there? You know, I never thought I would go to university, but I did. Um, it wasn't a natural path for me, but I went to university. I did um, youth and community work. Um, and then I went to do a postgraduate course um, in international development education, which took me to India. I've done some absolutely fantastic um work there you know seeing the complete opposite to to what the way I was brought up but also seeing the similarities between people um in culture you know I live life day by day to be honest Bridie and kind of like I'm going to Fiji in a, in a month's time that could take me in a completely different direction um and change is a large part of my life as well so you know, being able to adapt is is what I like, is, are, are kind of environments that I like to be in. Um, even though I get really anxious about it, you know, this um, meeting that I went to this morning, you know, inside I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to talk to people. But, you know, that's about me being able to push myself in that direction. Um, and being a leader in a LGBT charity is what I want to give to LGBT plus people is no matter where you are in your life right now, I want to be able to support those people in their journeys. Um, so my kind of um, where I am today is really intrinsically linked to my experiences, if you like, um, as a young person, as an adolescent um, and as, uh, as an adult today. So, yeah. That was a really beautiful and thoughtful answer. And the words that I really heard jump out from what you were saying were understanding, adaptability and universality. I mean, I know you said lots of other things as well, but it seems like there's something that you're really striving for, which is, yeah, kind of looking for what we all as humans 
have together that, that that perhaps is universal and can be used to understand each other I don't know if that's right but that that's that's something that that resonated with what you've been saying uh, threaded through our whole conversation actually mm. I think you know um life as we know it today is not too dissimilar to all of the challenges that we've gone through in history and I always like to I'm, I'm a really reflective person and I always like to link back moments in history to the challenges that we face today. You know, I think about the struggles that people within our communities, the LGBT plus community are going through today, they can be linked back to the struggles of the past. So I think we're always looking at ways of adapting and dealing with change. And I think if you ask any LGBT plus person, we're all essentially the same inside because we've had to deal with lots of different types of change throughout life. You know, just for trying to link it back to like being somebody who's in a LGBT plus leadership role. I think, you know, if you speak to anybody who's in those roles um, and why they got involved, how, how they got to being in those roles in the first place, all of those stories will be quite similar. Um, there might be different paths that might have got there in a different way, but actually you'll find similarity with those stories just as a result of the challenges that LGBT plus people have to face in life and uh, yes absolutely and I, I was fascinated when you said that you could link contemporary struggles to past struggles and I just wondered do you have an example well what I would say is I'm by no means a historian but what I would say is you know if we think about section 28 for example you know kind of the rhetoric that came out of that and about what the societal worries were and the narrative if you like, that was being played can be really compared to the struggles of trans people today and the rhetoric that we see in the media and the rhetoric that we see from elected, some elected politicians, shall we say, or some people with power. Instead of saying elected politicians, let's say just people with power because not just politicians at the end of the day. So it's the same struggle, I would say, just using that as an example, Section 28 with the struggle that trans people have today. And, you know, I'm very much of the mind that when we start rolling back the rights of a marginalised group, it's not long before we then start seeing the rights of other marginalised groups being rolled back. I'm a white CIS gay man. I don't really see myself as oppressed today. Um, is what I would maybe 15 years ago. But I think as somebody who has suffered oppression, um, I've got an obligation to support people within my community who are going through a really hard time right now. You've just given me so much to think about. I'm, I'm going to ponder on this conversation for ages after after it's closed thank you so much for your thoughts I I just I'm, we're kind of heading into the final the final bit of our chat and it would be really nice to kind of um hear your thoughts on music actually because obviously I'm a musician this project is about celebrating people through the medium of music there's obviously loads of other ways of doing that um but I would be really interested to get your take on music and if you think what you think about using music as a way of acknowledging and capturing and celebrating people's achievements and what they've done? Well, you know, I think music is really powerful. You know, I use music in my own life. Uh, I actually come from a recent music, musical family. Um, 
we were a bit like the Von Traps. That's the only way I can describe it is me, my mom and my sister used to play the, well, not used to play the cornet, uh, the musical instrument, the cornet. Uh, my dad played the guitar. Um, and then my grandfather and grandmother um, play the piano. So we used to, um, although I'm not, you know, I'm not religious um, at all. Um, I used to be in a church band back in the day. Um, through my grandfather's church. Um, so music's actually played a really big part in my kind of being in my life. Music, I think, transcends everybody like, everybody's life, actually. We can use music to be really uplifting. We can use it at times of real great difficulty. But we can also use it as a tool to get across a message which wouldn't otherwise maybe be heard. You know, I think if, you know, like all of the biggest artists, you know, I'm an avid Beyonce fan. And I think about her music and she so eloquently tells stories throughout that music. And I think with this project and, uh, you know, the wider aims of Unsung Heroes is to tell stories. And I think that's exactly what we do with music is we tell stories. So I think it's the perfect medium as part of this project to kind of explain those unsung heroes and, you know, their their individual stories um, and journeys through kind of the medium of music. But also, you know, I think through different mediums such as dance, art, you you could tell the same types of stories as well. I think creative art has a place in so many parts of life. But I think, you know, it's been captured really well as part of Unsung Heroes and in kind of using music was a really great tool to get that across. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm delighted that you used to play the cornet. I'm, I love I love the cornet. <laughs> I absolutely love brass music so much. <laughs> it's funny because, um, you know, obviously when you're young, you don't think about how things impact your life so much. But then kind of when you become an adult, have life experience and then reflect on that you know, you can realise just how important those things are, that part of your life. So, yeah, I just think it's just it's mega important to, to have those types of things as a young person, actually. Absolutely. Oh, Darren, it's just been so brilliant to talk to you. Um, so I just, I've really loved having you on the podcast and hearing your stories and your your experiences and your 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 wisdom, actually. Um and I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, and just before we go, I just wondered if if there's anything uh, that you would like to sort of big up to promote quickly that's happening in the next couple of months. Yes, so we're going to be delivering six um, mini Pride events. We've kind of called it Pride on the Road. So um, they're going to be happening across the county. Um, from around July all the way um, to the start of winter um, in November. People can find out all about those events, how they can get involved, just by following us on social media. So we're on all social media platforms at Nland Pride. But obviously, if you put Northumberland Pride um, in any of the search bars, you would be able to find us. But also, what I would say is, in terms of our wider work as well, if anybody's struggling, if you know anybody that's struggling, that needs our support, then just get in touch with us. There's so many ways you can get in touch with us via our website, picking up the phone, and also all of those um, social media channels. And I just really want people to know that we're here. If we don't have the answer, then, you know, we're part of so many different networks and we'll tend to know somebody who does. So I'd really encourage 
people in whatever part of their journey that they're in is to just get in touch with us. Wonderful. Well, on that note, I'm just going to yeah, just one for one last time say thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And that was the wonderful Darren Irving Duffy, Chair of Northumberland Pride. And we're now going to move on to our second interview with the author and activist Casper Baldwin. Welcome to the podcast, Casper. And it's really lovely to finally meet you, um, having heard so much about you, but also I, I feel I kind of feel like I know you a little bit already because Darren's talked about you loads, but also because I've read your incredible memoir, uh, not just a tomboy. I, I sort of feel like I have a little bit of an insight into some of some of who you are and, and your life story. Um, so it's just really great to get this chance to have a little bit of a chat. Um, so to start things off, it would be really great if you could just introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved with the Unsung Project in the first place. I'm Casper Baldwin and I was nominated uh, by Darren, who uh, I've worked with at Northumberland Pride before. And uh, I don't know why he nominated me. It was a little bit like, you should be nominated. But, <laughs> you know, it was a it was a a big honour it was probably because of the book that I wrote and being involved I was involved previously in Northumberland Pride and done the sort of the trans aspect of it uh at the the last it was the last one no the one before the one before and there won't be one this year <laughs> uh big pride parades that we had in Morpeth yeah which had never had one before it was a big deal for a rural rural places that often don't get anything really unless you go into like Newcastle but that's not an option for a lot of people so it was really good yeah well you're um you you're being you're being rather uh, you're being rather humble about <laughs> the reasons that you were nominated which is which is really lovely but I think one of the reasons that I think from speaking to Darren he he wanted to nominate you was that you were willing to kind of use your lived experience and um, to help and shape and inform other people in a, and try to make that a really positive thing. And one of the examples that he used, which I found really moving, and it'd be really interesting to hear what it was like for you, is that you, as when your book was first published and came out, Darren was telling me that you did um, a little tour of it in very sort of rural settings um, where you did readings in different libraries, including, I think, Amble Library. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that he thought you doing that was just really positive and, and really helpful for a lot of people. And it would, be, it would be just really interesting to hear how that experience was from your perspective. Nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. But, um, no, it was important because... Some of the reason for doing it was to just get as many people as possible to have had at least one experience of a trans person wasn't brought to them by the media and, you know, anti-people, just to demonstrate the regularness of us and, you know, so that they have at least something to go on when they're being bombarded by negative images. So, I mean, a lot of the people who came with people that I knew or people that they knew. So it was good because, I, you know, there were people that I didn't know at all from the, around the community, which was good. So 
share that experience with people. Um, so yeah, I went to the Amble Library, which is a rural seaside town, which is the closest town to the. I live in like a, a housing estate on the edge of a rural town, <laughs> so it's a little bit uh, remote. But I also went. I also went through. Do you know Lorna? Lorna Stewart Hook. Yeah. Also, yeah. Everyone knows Lorna. Yeah. Um, she got me to go into the prison where she worked as well, which was the scariest experience. I've never been in a prison before, and it was to meet um, some of the LGBT prisoners that she worked with. And we had a sort of book group, as it were, sort of discussion, which was interesting because, yeah. you know, you know, you're meeting people who'd had a path through life, which was difficult, and they'd made some choices but sometimes they'd been forced into those choices by the things that had happened to them sometimes because of their identity. So it was good to sort of not leave anybody out, you know. That must have been so, well, I, I, I can only imagine from my own perspective that it must have been quite emotionally exhausting, repeatedly sharing yeah. this very personal story with lots of people that most of whom you perhaps didn't know at all or, or, certainly, or not very well. I don't, what was that like? Yeah, it was, I mean, it is exhausting because I'm not an extrovert. Um, so it is difficult to be the centre of attention. But it, and it was kind of like a personal therapy as well to just share your story that you've kept to yourself for so long and see that it actually might be helping other people. It was really good. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's nerve-wracking in different ways to share it with people that know you a little bit. And then it's like slightly freer to share it with people who don't know you at all, but then also yeah. worry about because you don't know anything about what their reaction might be. So yeah, it was very all round. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. very fulfilling as well. Yeah, I'm I I'm sure I'm sure I can I can certainly imagine. And I, I have so many questions following on from that. And I guess one would it would be really interesting to hear what the response has been because you've obviously performed you've read different parts of your book in lots of different settings and and what, what's that been like how have people responded to it um lots of different emotions really depending on their personal experiences I've had some members of the community there as well some older than me but earlier in their journey as it were which quite emotional for them and also for older people who I know in my life who can cast their minds back to decades ago and how they have perhaps behaved and maybe people that they knew who they now realize might have been going through the same things and thinking about how they responded and how society used to be and how it is now and I've had some some emotional responses from older people thinking about that oh, that's fascinating so you mean it's it's helped people to reflect on their behavior and think perhaps they would they could have handled it differently mm. wow because if you tell people that there was a, a community of people that have clearly always been around but they didn't know anything about it it's like oh you know so thinking about those people and the people they must have known in their lives you know? yeah yeah so, wow 
Yeah, absolutely. God, yeah, that I can imagine that must be really, really emotional to to be the person that's kind of helped somebody to think about that, to reflect on that. And and you said something else which I thought was really interesting. And and actually, it's funny because um, Darren had said this too: is that you know you you are sort of proudly claimed I, I'm not an extrovert, like that's just not me, and. It's funny because Darren had said that too. He said, Casper's just very calm and very <laughs> and very sort of articulate and and not not extroverted. And you know, that's a, perhaps a slightly different personality than you might think of somebody that would be nominated for something like this. Because you know, it's <laughs> it's a very different kind of style of being in the world, and but still doing really important work and contributing hugely. Um, but I guess being in that environment where you, you know you are kind of a, you are a spokesperson, but but I think, not. I think I mean that's why the medium of writing sort of fitted me the best. And I'm, I'm never going to be one of those people that can, you know, be acting or in the media in that kind of way, or even standing on a big stage doing lots of big speeches. But I think the medium of writing, which is somewhat removed and you can get very deep with it, mm. was the best way. But I did find sort of being in like the hub, we had the trans hub at the Pride events, which was that was quite nerve wracking <laughs> to like be the face of that. But it was, in you know, we're in a period of time where you have to do these things if you can. You know, there aren't a lot of people to call upon. So <laughs> in the rural area. So you just have to try and step up. Really. Yeah, it's really interesting because you've mentioned that a few times and, and Darren has too about how the challenges of running a, a pride organisation in a rural area are very, very different to if you're in a larger city or town. Yeah. It would be interesting to hear what you think about that. Well, I mean, the first issue is where do you host it? Because there, unless... Obviously, I mean, it's obvious when you're in a big city, it's going to be in the city. <laughs> it's going to be in the biggest space that you can get here. It's just like, which of these medium-sized towns should we go to, <laughs> which would be useful for everybody? Because it's a huge, huge space, Northumberland. And you're like, well, if we put it here, then it's going to be annoying for people over there. And so, I mean, we did attempt to go around places and, have it in different places. Um, Morpeth is one of the biggest towns, so we started off started off there. But that's really that was really the biggest thing. Will people come from far enough? You know, and how can we reach everybody? So yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, obviously, you've talked loads about your involvement in Pride, but I'm really interested to know how that kind of came about in the first place like how did you first get involved in Northumberland Pride you remember um <laughs> how did I get involved it might have been and I definitely I met Lorna first did I meet Lorna is <laughs> the question so just to yeah. clarify for people who don't know um, and correct me if I'm wrong but I think it was Lorna the original sort yeah. of founder of prize yeah she yeah she's on a stewart hook she'd uh called in a newspaper actually like a year previously 
more representation in the north and and then had just um taken it upon herself to do it you know and and then she sort of brought darren in and uh, and me i can't remember how i got involved it might have been through a lady we both know in amble who's a community big community lady called mary davidson she might have introduced us um she does a lot of great work with getting in- inclusive churches in particular she's really involved oh, wow. in that which is really good uh, she might she might have introduced us yeah it might have been through that and then once you were through the door and involved did you find that your role just kind of kept evolving and snowballing from kind of do this and do that or was it very like did you have quite a specific lens on how you wanted um, to be involved well it's going to be sort of the trans representation mm. in, in the situation uh, and then I just sort of suggested having a trans hub at the Pride, which I would do, because um, it's always sort of the least, well, it used to be historically the sort of the least amount of stuff there for trans people. And we're at a point still where it's not just about a celebration, yeah. where it might be for sort of gay people at Pride. It's more people need go there because they are actually looking for information because even like even like younger people who could get their stuff on their phones and on their laptops and things but they're afraid and they're afraid someone will find out so they don't and so it was like right. we're still in that period of time so I was like I'm gonna have some printed stuff that they can take with them so and we had you know we had parents with young children who came just to get some information and it was really important, I think. It isn't just about celebration, particularly not in rural prides. It's still about gathering information. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it. I can just imagine, and Darren talked about this too, that during lockdown, not being able to have those face-to-face events those 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 points where people can come and speak to people and receive that support and information was something that was very worrying to him and he obviously uh, because you're a very adaptable and endlessly evolving organization it sounds like you found loads of really clever ways of still involving people and, and giving people that support but but that must have been quite a tricky time for various reasons definitely <laughs> But I don't know what we do without the internet, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I I guess it would just be, I mean, we've touched on it already, but it would be really, it would be really fantastic to talk just a little bit more about about your about your book, um, which obviously I've read as you know and loved. I really recommend everybody to go out and, and read it because I, I mean, yes, of course it's very informative and it's, it's very important to hear perspectives and life, of, but, but also it's really important that people know it's also just beautifully written and it's actually very funny and it's very wry. And it, it does that thing where it really brings the listener in. And I think I said, there's a line in the song I wrote about, it's kind of like being heart to heart with someone else's truth and it that is how it feels it's kind of like this insight into into your life and 
I would just kind of, again, the kind of artist to artist, I would just love to hear a bit more about your process and, and how you wrote it. And if you did it all in one big go or if you did it in little bits and how you pieced together the different um, bits of writing that you came up with. And yeah, just anything that you'd like to tell me about that, I'd love to hear. Uh, I, I wrote it sort of most days over a period of probably about nine months. Um because at the time I was working part-time as a lifeguard. So when I wasn't doing that, I was writing. Uh, I would do it in the afternoon, sit in my room, usually on the bed with my laptop, trying to go back in the mind. I didn't I didn't plan it. I mean, I'm a, I never really planned any of my school essays either, but I, I do like to write. I've, I have a PhD, so I've written a thesis. I've sat for months at a time and written before. So... Um, I quite enjoy it and I just sort of started at the beginning really <laughs> and carried on from there you have to try and condense down everything think about sort of key moments and build up what you wanted to say around that um I, wanted, I just I wanted it to be because nothing massively sensational has happened in my life you know that you might think or a book could be written about such as you know being thrown out of your house or being involved in like a horrible situation or anything I had a pretty standard life in the 90s early in the early 2000s but that's most people's experience and I think always media is always geared towards the extremes and it makes you feel like if you haven't experienced any of that that you can't actually relate and I just thought that was missing so I thought, you know, here is my quite mundane story, but this is what mundane looks like when you're in this situation as I was, and this is what it was like. It's quite sort of TMI in a lot of places, but <laughs> I think it needed to be because you need to go into all of those things. I think, yeah. I'm glad it's fun, it is funny in very, places. very dry. Well, it's just very dry and very funny. Yeah. And I... I <laughs> I just love, I love the fact that you describe it as like, it's almost like a celebration of the mundanity. It is, it's kind of leaning into actually, like, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Casper, you said, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm just a normal person just doing, doing some stuff. (laughs) And, and you're right. The media (laughs) is geared towards extremes and a lot of people don't, they don't really want that or it doesn't work for them. And actually, this is kind yeah. of a little bit of an antidote to that, perhaps. Yeah, I just hoped it would be more relatable to like the large amount of people that had sort of experienced the same things as me, but never had it voiced. Yeah. And yeah. when you were writing it, did you... Because I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know how you sort of gathered together, because all a lot of the anecdotes that you use in the book are you know very there's very specific and clear and it, you know there's obviously a very good sort of in terms of the, the dramatic arc of the storytelling there's a really there's really good reasons why you use them but in terms of deciding that did you kind of dig into like old photos and because there's photos in the book isn't there and did you kind of yeah. go back in time and try and think oh how can I access these memories and use them really creatively well I think it wasn't that hard to sort of access them because they're very clear like all of these, all of these memories. Are, well, I mean, they're seemingly mundane, but from the perspective that I was having internally, they were very profound. 
so they've stayed with me you know there's one my i mean i still have this picture picture where i'm kissing the fish like this I, well we were on a school trip in year six and it was really the that was really the last time where i'd felt comfortable in my own body and as myself but there were still were things that happened on that trip which shattered that <laughs> which is another anecdote about the disco that we had to go to because there was another school there um and it's, it was just but i really loved that photo and it's kind of just wishing in years that came later that i could go back to that point as if it was sort of like a portal so it was a very clear moment and pretty most of the anecdotes i mean you always you always worry when you when you write that if you're sort of including dialogue on things people think that you're just making it up because how can you possibly remember that <laughs> all those years ago but actually i really could and i think uh it just speaks to the intensity of the experiences that you have that other people at the time are not realizing that you're having which really important for people to know uh, in this in this experience yes. but, uh, what was the question <laughs> am i answering the question <laughs> am i going on tangents because i do have, that in a in a ram- beautifully rambling way you have an- you have answered the question yeah absolutely um and i i guess it's just it's really interesting that you said writing is the way for you is the way to do this um better writer than i am a speaker <laughs> But I, it's it's interesting because um, I I really like the fact that it was a, a book because and I think I said this to you in an email like when you read a book it's it's quite a commitment and it's quite an, it's quite intimate reading a, a book particularly a memoir because you have to devote quite a lot of time which basically means you're devoting quite a lot of time to that person and to 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 their life mm. and I think that does the, the, the brilliance end result of that is that you come out of it feeling like you know somebody and of course only the parts that you want people to see and that's totally your right as a, as, a, as a writer but I think that's why it is a really effective way of telling a story Be- because it's yeah you, you have to really you have to put in the time in it because it feels quite quite intimate it's very I mean there's lots of stuff in there that I hadn't even told my best friend because it's too embarrassing and it's a lot it's freeing to be able to write it like that and have that kind of barrier between you and the other person as opposed to just telling them face to face writing it in a whole memoir like that was actually was actually the way I discussed most of this stuff people that were closest to me so why writing I think is so useful as a medium in general you know, you can take the time to say what you want to say properly. You craft it, it might take hours, you might cross things out. But it means that there's not going to be any misunderstandings because you've really taken the time to think about what you're going to say. You don't have to think of it on the spot. Um, and you can just really own the narrative. It gets taken from you. If your words get twisted, you can think when you're writing about ways to prevent that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you're if you're just introverted, shy, it's easy. It's easier to get what you want to say across in the best possible way. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, it's interesting what you said there. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you say that some of the stuff that's in the book 
is things that perhaps you hadn't talked to people about before. And those people, the first time they would have known that would have been when they read the book. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, particularly people who were on the other side of it, who were also in, in those stories at those moments, but had never seen it from what was truly happening for me at the time. And I think it was one of, I think I say it in the introduction, it's really good to be able to explain to people who were there why I behaved the way I did, which they might not have realised at the time, you know, this was what was going on. Yeah. I mean, that I, I mean, feel free to ignore this question if you don't want to answer it, but that must have been very intense when those people read that. And what was that like? Um, it was, it was good. I'm trying to remember. I think there was a sadness in some people about how that they hadn't known, and they were sorry for what they now see was just compounding things. Um, but it, I think it was, in the end, it was sort of um, freeing and a lot of relief there. Sort of let it go and. You know, move forward yeah and you and you alluded again earlier in the conversation I think you said something like oh sometimes it's actually easier to tell people that you don't know at all quite personal things about yourself mm. than it is to share them with people you know really well which is, is I, again I really identify with that as well but it, it yes it, it can it can be it's because you're not you're not worried about upsetting anybody because they weren't there, they weren't involved. So it's not none of it's their fault, as it as it might yeah. be construed, or there's nothing that they could have done, you know, because they weren't there. So, and also you think, well, I don't, I don't know you, so there's less embarrassment. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, you don't know anything about what their reaction would be. So that's Absolutely. the other side of it. And I guess going from think kind of moving moving into a different art form, obviously you you chose to tell this story through writing and you've explained exactly why you did that very, very articulately. And But thinking about other art forms, obviously this project's about celebrating people and telling stories through through music, which is my, my art form. And I, I, it would be really interesting to kind of hear a little bit more about what your relationship is to music. And I guess also if you think it's a good vehicle for telling stories and for celebrating people and perhaps the kind of the difference between that and, and writing. I definitely think it's an excellent medium. Um, definitely. I mean, because you don't just have the words, you have the music itself, which can induce certain moods in, in people, make them understand an emotion in ways that words don't. And on top of, and sometimes they can be contrasting is shows a deeper meaning as well because it can show how things can be thinking two different emotions at once induced by one situation um so it's a lot it's a lot there's a lot in music in a very short short period like a song and you like two or three minutes so you say a lot uh, more than you can probably say in the same amount of words um probably just in terms of the emotional experience you can go on a whole journey in like three minutes. You use a whole book to do in writing. But uh, I 
I've never really considered myself particularly musical. I don't have any musical talent. I am currently learning the tin whistle. <laughs> Another story. But uh, I've never engaged personally in the making of music. I cannot sing or do anything like that. But I've always enjoyed listening to it, particularly um, folk wow. music. Getting into quite a lot because I am a sword dancer. This is what happens when you move to a rural sword place. Sword dancer, you know, completely native. Amazing sword dancer, which is a like. Morris, I used to be a Morris sword. dancer, so I'm obsessed with anything yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> I was never allowed a sword though. <laughs> I, I dance long sword and rapper, um, and there's all sorts of music that goes along with that, jigs and reels and all things. So that's why I'm learning the tin whistle. But uh, I've always loved the the stories that are told through folk music in particular um yeah there's some really great bands around here that i've gone to but i know i know some people in and um yeah i think it's a fantastic medium to say a lot of on things. a personal level I'm, I'm really happy that you've touched on folk music and i think that um i mean i like loads of different types of music but i do love folk and i think one of the main reasons I love it is that historically it's always been used as a way of people preserving really important parts of their history and stories that perhaps have, mm. would have been overlooked otherwise because they're not, you know, you know, you know, you get the, the you get the big headlines in history, don't you? The big, yeah, small stories. Yeah. yeah. The, the stuff that would be really easy that has been overlooked for centuries. And I find that, really moving and poignant about folk music that you can suddenly hurtle back into, you know, the, the narrative of just a very everyday person who something extraordinary happened to, or who did something extraordinary, you know, that never would have mm. been known about otherwise, or a horrible injustice that happened. And, and, and a song has made sure that that story has been. Really survives in song. Some of those that I've heard about, for example, in Amber, which is a seaside port, there's this great band, local band called the Cloudberries, and they do a really good song about the shipwrecks that are off just off the coast of Amble. And there's not not great records of them. Talks about like, the ghosts wow. of the who sort of go around Coquet Island, you know, that have been forgotten from these ships. It's a really good song. That sounds like <laughs> a brilliant example. But, yeah, uh, stories like that. What remind me of the name of the band? Cloudberries. Cloud, cloud berries, cloud berries. <laughs> that was really good. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! I'm going to definitely have to go and check out the cloud berries. Yeah, amazing. Oh well, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I feel like I could just chat to you all day and and ask you and ask you endless <laughs> questions <laughs> about things. <laughs> but I will let you go very soon. Um, but I've got just a couple of questions before before we wrap up. And one is, I've been asking everybody that I've been speaking to, if there's anything going on in their worlds and in their lives that actually they think, I would really like to plug that. I, you know, I'd really like to to shout out to that thing I'm doing. So so first of all, is there, any, is there anything that you're doing that you'd like people to know about? Um, just we're really just thinking about my sword team again. We're coming together again after the... Uh pandemic a lot of a lot of the members are older so it, we had to completely stop obviously but in slow going because people still had to isolate for various health reasons um, and we're coming back around so we'll just be around at the various um sort of random days that happen in towns in rural places we've got a puffin festival oh, happening wow. in Anvil. 
that's on uh, Saturday. So we'll be dance. We dance out, which means we just start dancing in random places at no. random times. <laughs> um, we do that, and there'll be other festivals around. So yeah, just watch out for the uh, the amble. And amble how do people dances. find out? Have you got a website or? Amazing. We've got a Facebook group. Yeah, Amble Sword amazing. Dancers. So uh, if you want to know who will be at your random town village festival this summer it is a thing to behold isn't it i saw dancing it it really is it's amazing amazing looks highly perilous but i'm sure it's not i'm sure it's very controlled well we're highly skilled Uh, it can be quite perilous if you haven't locked the swords properly they can drop on your heads it probably just makes it even more exciting to watch if you're like oh something could go quite wrong here Well, we want to start tumbling as well, which is where sort of flip over other sort oh, of other people backwards when people wow. least expect it. Wow. Uh, yeah. I love it. So and come. if people want to get hold of a copy of your book, how can they do that? Um, they can get it on Amazon and they can get it on the website of the publishers, which was, I think it's Hatchet now. It was Jessica Kingsley Publishers. All good independent and LGBTQ uh, book bookshops have it as well. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and fi- finally, and you kind of touched on this already, but I just wondered if you could just just sort of fin- to finish this conversation off by sort of reflecting on how it how it feels to be nominated as an unsung hero. It feels really surreal. If it was in one word, because you don't think something like that would happen to you you know have a have a song written about your experiences it's very uh something happens to other people you think oh you know what have I done sure there are lots of other people that could have it done for them but so yeah it was really uh, a privilege I think yeah it was great brilliant well it's been a real it's been a real pleasure to speak to you thank you And that was Casper Baldwin. So, uh, Dominic, what did you take from those conversations? Well, what a brilliant interview, both of them. You know, um, there's so much to unpack and so much to talk about, really. But I guess the first thing is talking about the book tour and and Darren's nomination. When you hear interviews with people who have been had like won medals or, you know, they performed a, an outstanding act of bravery, yeah. they. They're, when they're asked why they did it, they, they generally tend to say they didn't think about it. Like they had no, they didn't think they had a choice. Yeah. They just they did what they did, you know. And I, I picked up a bit of that in this because the the book tour of rural Northumberland felt a bit like a really important moment. Mm. I, when I was a kid, I went to school in Amble for a little while, and I think the library's not where it used to be. But you know, I remember Amble and. I guess there are some loud voices out there on the internet. And I think Casper just says that they felt that the tour was necessary to counteract yeah. those voices in a way. And they're just they're just so calm and relaxed about how they're talking about it as well, you know. And they would say that it was we felt it was really important for people to have at least one experience of a trans person. Yeah. And that experience is so important at counteracting those kind of negative voices it's a really important thing to do and i think you ask how did how did that make you feel or and they just said a bit nervous yeah 
actually it was just incredibly uh, I, I don't want to kind of uh, sound like I'm dropping false platitudes but it was an incredibly brave thing to do and I can really admire them for doing that um, so that was a really strong and heroic moment I thought yeah in the in the interview absolutely yeah. and I just absolutely love the way Casper talks about the importance of mundanity I just think it I just mm. it was for me like really refreshing to hear someone talk about that, that actually it's really important just knowing that people are normal and they're just getting on and they like to sit around and drink tea <laughs> yeah. I mean the funny thing about Casper is he, he kind of says that oh, I'm you know I'm very mundane but then talks with such he's such an eloquent interesting just fascinating person to talk to and it's it's sort of it's kind of anything but mundane you know um you know and some of the stuff he does is just so interesting like i love the fact that he talked about his sword fighting um his sword sword dancing <laughs> sword sword fighting. Fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i just absolutely loved i just loved that the kind of the scope of of life and the different things that they're interested in doing um yeah and the other thing that actually both of them touched on, which I thought was really interesting, and I admit I'd never even thought about, was when you're involved in a pride organisation, that when it's a rural organisation, the, the challenges are just completely different mm-hmm. um, and what's required is completely different. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I thought, God, that's, yeah, it's sort of a really interesting and sensitive difference to, you know, pride organisations that are based in big cities. Yeah, and Northumberland, you know, it's just so spread out, which is why it's really good to be doing this podcast, I guess, yeah. in a way, because we have Queen's Hall and Hexham, which is, for those of you who are listening in other parts of the country, is miles away from people who live in north, the north of Northumberland. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's a huge distance to travel, and there aren't really, there's no uh, internal metro or train system, it's buses and and your own transport to get around Northumberland. So that just changes the dynamic massively, you know, access to culture and access to support and and kinship as well. And for some people, it can be quite a lonely place to live as well. So um, it's really good that there are organisations like Pride in Northumberland reaching out to people as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there was something else that I thought that both of them mentioned, and it's, it's sort of a totally different point. But Casper um, describes himself as a as an introvert, and Darren yeah. describes him similarly. And I just thought that's really lovely because I think a lot of people think to be able to do the kind of work and make the kind of impact on society that they that that Casper has, you have to be kind of a big, loud sort of confident mm. extroverted person and actually yet again Casper's kind of showing that actually there's a different way of doing it you can be very calm yeah. and very thoughtful very articulate and have a lot of empathy and that can be hugely influential in a completely different way and I just love that yeah and, and you know extroverts can be exhausting <laughs> as well can't they and uh there was so if, if you're feeling vulnerable and just need somebody to kind of hear you yeah then you don't want somebody bouncing into the room. It's just going to make you run a mile, you know. And they, they kind of touch upon that when you, because you were teasing them, to not you, you were trying to tease out their writing process. Yeah. All artists are always really interested in other yeah. artists' processes, aren't they? Yeah. And how do you do? Yeah. Do you get it with five o'clock in the morning, or do you, you know, do you get it with two o'clock in the afternoon? And 
what's the first thing you do? What do you have for your breakfast? Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, they, but they they touch on it there is you know writing was it was an opportunity to to kind of think about things and and process them in a, in a low pressured environment and to be able to share past experiences with people who hadn't understood what was happening at the time for them you know to share their experience of of, of things that they've shared with somebody else in a considered way as well which was uh, really really nice to hear and it's a really important approach i thought yeah, as well yeah absolutely and um so just in case anyone who's listening is interested in finding out more um casper's book not just a tomboy is available from well, you can definitely buy it on amazon um, and I think there's other small um, independent business like bookstores online you can buy it from. Um, and also, if anyone wants to find out more about Northumberland Pride, they have a website and they're also very um, active on social media. So you just literally type in Northern Pride, or sorry, Northumberland Pride um, and lots of information and contact details will come up. Shall we have a listen to a little snippet of the song Walking a Lonely Path with No Guide? So this is the song that I wrote for Casper and it's performed here by the amazing musicians Carol and Gary Bowden. participants in today's podcast uh, i've really enjoyed it um this is the last episode in the current season yeah. uh, and there might be a slight hiatus before we get on to the next one there might not depending on how organized we can <laughs> get ourselves <laughs> um anyways we'll be back soon yes. with another season about another exciting project that's happening at queen's hall to find out more about everything that's happening at queen's hall you can visit the website, which is queenshall.co.uk and check out everything we're doing on social media as well, uh, on most social media platforms. Uh, I always joke about this, but I don't think we're on TikTok. Uh, I don't <laughs> think not? there's any desire to be on TikTok. Should we, do you think, listeners at home, do you think we should be on TikTok? <laughs> and if you do, could you also tell us how to do it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and on that hilarious note <laughs> it's goodbye from me bye thanks for listening <laughs> see you next season <laughs> bye bye